morning to everybody in this room and morning to all those joining us online. It's great to see some new faces here and some returning faces, so it's great to gather together. And those of you joining us online, we want you to know you take it at your own pace, but if and when you're ready, we're here, and we're looking forward to your physical presence with us for those in this geographic area and worshiping. All right, I want you to pull out your devices, all right, your phones, those of you at home, jump on your iPad or your laptop or whatever. I want you to go to eaglechurch.com slash prayer. Go to this page, and um, this kicks off our 21st consecutive year where we're setting aside the next seven days for what we call prayer week around here. And so I want you to go to eaglechurch.com slash prayer, or if you just go to the homepage, there's a prayer option right at the top. And you'll see on this page, there's some really helpful guides for you. So Julia's done a great job writing some prayer guides out of the Book of Common Prayer, some liturgies to walk you through this week. So again, we're not going to be gathering physically for our normal prayer gatherings physically in here during the week this, this year, but we're trying to mobilize and equip you to do that at home or get together with a small group or you know, do it however you want to do it, but these are tools available to you, and I want you to be aware of those. So you see the prayer guides there. They're set up daily. There's some themes there and praying for our children's ministry and student ministry and missions work and all those other things. And and then you'll see, keep scrolling down, and you'll see a place for you to sign up for an hour in our prayer room. If you'd like to come and spend an hour, we know how meaningful that is to many of you to kind of begin your year. So the prayer room will be open, but I know that many of you will choose to do that at home and in your own space. That's fine. But we'd love for you to sign up for an hour, whether you're doing it here or elsewhere, and you can see the spot to do that online. And so if you could start filling those slots up right now, that would be great. And then keep scrolling down, and you'll see there's a, a Bible reading plan. Do you see that? We've got 78 people already signed up. How cool is that? To read through the Bible together. So thank you to so many of you who've already signed up. The official start date of that is the 17th. So you've got another week to jump in with us. The plan is there. The way you can sign up is there. You use the Version Bible app. And uh, there's a really cool plan that Julia found that's called the Bible Project, put it together. And so the little daily devotionals are small videos that help you stay kind of in context with the bigger story as we're working our way through from Genesis to Revelation through the year. So jump in with us, whether it's your first time ever reading the Bible, or maybe you've been reading it for decades, or I suspect for most of us, it's somewhere in between. It doesn't matter. Take it at your own pace. Jump in with us, and you'll be able to kind of be on the same reading plan all through this year, and you'll be a place for you to post comments and kind of see everyone else who's connected there. So I want to encourage you to use this page, go there for all your resourcing help. And we're also going to do noon prayer gatherings Monday through Saturday this coming week. So starting tomorrow at noon on Zoom, you can jump on wherever you're at, and someone will be leading you through a short prayer time, and we're just calling them noon prayer Zoom gatherings. So join us for those, and you can see the link in that page as well. Well, I'm super excited about the series we're starting today. No better way to kick off prayer week than this series that we're entitling The With God Life. And let me just set context for where we're heading. I just want you to settle in because we're going to be in this series for a while. Because if you haven't figured out yet, this is a pretty big book. Like there's a lot going on here and there's a lot of different <laughs> characters and stories and history. And so we're going to work our way from start to finish through the larger storyline of God's Word. 
hence the reading plan that we want to be doing together. And the idea is we want to mobilize and use our Sunday mornings to train and equip you to feel increasingly comfortable being in here on your own and helping others do just that. And so we're going to start today with the life of Abraham. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to be in Genesis. So as the reading plan gets going, we'll be right in that space uh, on Sunday mornings as well. And then when we get into the Lenten season into late February, we'll be in the book of Exodus and our Lenten season will be framed around the Exodus storyline. And then we'll just continue to work our way through there. And some of you are getting quite nervous right now going, oh my gosh, you mean we're going to be in the Old Testament like forever? Relax. We're going to get to Easter. Jesus rises. Hallelujah. And we're going, to, we're going to have a nice journey with Jesus on Passion Week. And then we're going to kick off a series on a biography of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew in the springtime. So we're going to try to kind of we're going to try to flip back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament and help you hopefully see how these things are connected together and give us just the overarching thing. Our minds learn best when we get the whole, we break the whole down into the parts, and you put the parts back up into the whole, and we want to help you do that. And we're going to have some discipleship classes developed along this as well, so stay tuned for those. There are going to be some classes to just kind of help take a deeper dive on these different themes. So I'm super excited about this year, and I'm excited about this thrust and this focus, because as a church, we're about being disciples and making disciples. That's at the core of, of what we're doing. You can't make a disciple unless you are one, so you be a disciple, you learn to walk with Jesus, and then if I understand what Jesus is saying here, then basically you turn around and you help others do that. The Bible language of that is make disciples. And so we're about that, and it seems to me that this book is central to all of that. The only wisdom and guidance we have on being a disciple and making disciples comes from this God-breathed book. And so I want to invite you to step in on this journey with us. And like I said, whether it's your first time, maybe some of you come from an environment or you're joining us online and you've never cracked open the Bible on any regular basis in your life, no better time than right now. There's no book like this book. There's nothing else you're going to open up where it says, and God said, comma, quote, that's the best. And so jump in, or whether you're a regular and you've been in this for a long, long time, I hope that this uh, series can be helpful and meaningful at every part of the journey. So open up your Bibles today. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to get started. And you can plot your message notes. You can scan the code in front of you in the chair. Or online host can direct you that way as well. If I had to summarize the message of this book in two words, I would say it's the storyline of the Bible is a story about revelation and transformation. The revelation of who God is and the transformation of human beings to reflect a people that belong to Him. That's the story of this book. So, shocker, the primary character of this book is God which is good for us North Americans to hear. Like, we're not the primary character. Like, God, in the beginning, God. Like, it starts with Him. God is the subject of the great verb of human history. God is the subject of this great verb called human history. It's about a revelation of who He is. That's why we get together and we sing songs and we read His Word and we want to have our eyes lifted up to see who God is, to understand His character as He's revealed Himself ultimately in Jesus. And then we want to learn how to live this with God life. 
So to become a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, is to make a decision somewhere along the way where you say, I'm not going to live life on my own, doing it my way. I'm going to choose Jesus. I'm going to choose to live the with God life, or the language of Christmas season, the Emmanuel life. And so the reflection of a people that belong to him, it's about the transformation of human beings. And that's what this book is all about. Which means this morning I've entitled today's message, The Divine Go. If this is indeed true, in the beginning, God, if he's the, if he's the subject of the great verb of human history, if it all starts with him and ends with him, if he's the great beginner from which everything gets its beginning, if he's the defining point of all reality, if that's true, then here's what we as people have to get really comfortable with. We're going to get really familiar with this divine go entering our lives and stirring things up. Look at Dallas Willard's quote here. I put this in your notes. He says, do you ever wonder why there are people? Why is there anything God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as its primary sustainer and most most glorious inhabitant. And so Abraham, he's 75 years old, Genesis chapter 12, and the divine go enters his life. Look at verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, he eventually, God changes his name to Abraham. He said, leave your country. That country he's in is called Haran, modern day Turkey, 700 miles north of Israel. So leave Haran, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Underline, I will show. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth, underline that, will be blessed through you. So if you've got your Bibles in front of you, I want you to write in the margin, Abrahamic covenant. This is a really important chapter to understand the storyline of this book. So the Abrahamic covenant, you see God starts with a man named Abraham, his wife Sarah, and he's going to build a nation. The nation is going to be called Israel. So this is the beginning of that group of people. And so Israel begins with 75-year-old Abraham and 65-year-old Sarah. And he says, you're going to build a people, you're going to be a nation who's eventually going to bless the nations of the world. This is the Abrahamic covenant. And to get a full grasp of this, we got we to gotta set the backstory of Genesis 11. Genesis 11 is the Tower of Babel. So the people in Genesis 11 were of one language, one culture, could coordinate and cooperate. And generally speaking, when humans get together and we can coordinate and cooperate well, without God at the center of that, it doesn't go to good places. We usually coordinate and cooperate to do what Genesis 11. They build a great big tower called the Tower of Babel. And it says they wanted to do it to make a name for themselves. There's still plenty of that that goes on in our our world today where people just get together and build a big tower, make a name for themselves. And I suspect there's a lot of reasons behind that. One of them, they built the tower really high because they just came off of the flood with Noah. And so they're probably trying to say, you know what, God, in case you decide to send a bunch of water on this earth again, we'll show you. We're just going to build this thing really high and and we're going to survive next time. That kind of thing's probably in there. And there's just this sense of human pride and self-exalting, and God's upset with it. So he takes the Tower of Babel, wipes out the Tower of Babel, and scatters the people. 
So he scatters the people all over the earth and confuses their language. That's the middle of Genesis 11. And so stay with me now. So from Genesis 11, this is Genesis 1 through 11. From Genesis 12 onward, here's the message. God's going to show us, starting with Abraham, how he regathers what he scattered in Genesis 11. Did you follow that? So his plan, salvation history, would be the the theological language. The salvation history storyline from Genesis 12 onward is how God's going to regather ultimately in Jesus what he scattered in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11 explains the diversity of culture and language in our world. Why it's so difficult today to coordinate and cooperate across language and cultural lines. Intentional by God. And then Starting with Abraham, he's got a plan that's eventually culminated in the book of Revelation. The last book of the Bible says, here's how you know his plan got accomplished, because uh, the apostle John looks into heaven and says, there's a throne, at the center of the throne is a lion lamb from the tribe of Judah, from the nation of Israel, from the family line of Abraham, and it says this, there are people from every tribe, people, tongue, and language gathered around that throne. He's regathered what he's scattered. How glorious is God? He's told us how the story is going to end. And we're somewhere in the middle. We're in between right now in this section of God's regathering plan. He's still bringing together in Jesus what he scattered at Babel. And his regathering plan starts with Abraham. And he sends the divine go into this man's life. And the Abrahamic covenant has two parts. Did you see the two parts of the covenant in your Bibles there? It's top line blessing. Verse 1, I will bless you. Or verse 2, I will bless you and make you into a great nation. That's a top line blessing of verse 2. And bottom line responsibility. You'll be a blessing. Top line blessing comes with bottom line responsibility. Now, Abraham's not the one looking for anything to do. He's probably fairly settled down in his retirement community, 75 years old. He's got his routines. He's got his habits. For those of you in that era of life, you know that change isn't one of your more let's just say, popular items in your life. And so you're kind of settled in and you're kind of in your routines and yet God comes and he sends the divine go. And there's a theme in scripture that, you know, when you get into your 70s or 80s or even more so, it's like, you know, he chose Abraham at 75, he chose Sarah at 65, he he chose Moses at 80 to really send the divine go. He got Caleb at 85. You've got, you've got this theme like, God's just got a little different picture of how this aging process works. And retirement might be a really North American concept, but it's really not a concept that God unfolds here because it seems to me, and I think it's really important for us to grasp that sometimes the older we get in life, the more we kind of can drift into this mindset that, well, the divine go is great. It's for the younger people. You know, praise God, God sends the divine go into someone who's younger. That's really not the picture we're getting here and we're going to get as we keep going. And I want to elevate and amplify this point that those of you in your 60s and 70s and 80s and even into your 90s, you're an amazing gift to what God is doing in this world. If we're going to be a community as a church family to be disciples and make disciples, then you're at the center of all of this. Those of you in those chapters of your life, 
You have a reservoir of wisdom and life experience. And if you've been walking with Jesus, you've got decades of what it means to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with Jesus. You're an amazing gift and resource to all the generations that are growing up behind you. And I think it's time in the church world that we elevate and draw attention to the older generation and to encourage and deploy and perhaps stir up a little bit of how the divine go still comes to you. It's not just for the younger folks. It's not just for the children's ministry and student ministry and all the great things that are happening there. And you know, as a church, we care a lot about the next generation. We spend a lot of resources and energy. It's important. We want to build into our children and our students a great foundation. Yes and amen to all of that. But you know what's really critical to all of that occurring is the older generation, those of you, Abraham and Sarah and Caleb's and all of you in those sectors of life, like encouraging you to deploy and release your gifts and your wisdom and your discipleship and all of the rest around you. It's really critical. And I think in our culture today, we're so youth infatuated that I think there's an overlooking and a neglecting that can happen from those in the older generations. In God's eyes, older doesn't mean relegated to the sidelines. In God's eyes, older means leader. It means most productive. As you've heard me say, I think think those of you in your 60s and 70s are entering your most productive decades of your life. And to just release and to embrace, how is God sending the divine go right now? And for Abraham, at 75. And for Sarah, at 65. They're probably thinking, you know, we're near, we're kind of wrapping things up. And they're just getting started in God's plan here. And so, I want us to see today, whether you're 75, 65, 35, 15, God sends the divine go to all eras, all stages, all decades of life. And when he sends it, there'll be three kind of qualities that are packaged with the divine go. And the first one, and I put in your notes this way, it's going to come with embedded uncertainty. Did you see this with Abraham? What did he tell Abraham to do first? Leave your people, your country, your father. So leave Haran. Did he tell him where he's going? He said, go to a land. What is your, what does it say? that I will show you future tense. So there's an embedded uncertainty about how the divine go enters for Abraham. And have you noticed this with God? Like he likes to lead us on an information as needed basis. Have you noticed this with God? Now I prefer a maximum information basis. God's preference is information as needed. I, I prefer a um, I prefer like a, a detailed plan. God's preference is I'll unfold the plan as we go. I prefer, well, God, if I take step one, where does step one lead? Like what's step two, three, and four look like? God says take step one and we'll get to step two. Has anybody else discovered this with God? It can become a quite frustrating reality about the relationship. So I'm trying to settle and get, kind of remove some of the barbs in the relationship today. Is we just need to settle down and get comfortable with this embedded uncertainty from God. That he's going to lead us in such a way in our lives, big and small decisions on an information as 
needed basis. Even though he knows the propensity in our heart is a maximum information and clarified plan on the front end. Like Abraham, pick up, pack up, get the family together, get the stuff, and get moving. And no doubt Sarah for sure is raising, no doubt to Abraham, where are we going? And Abraham's like, I'm not sure. God said, as we go, he'll make it clear. This is how the Lord works. As you go, he unfolds the next steps for us. But notice Abraham would have never been able to experience the land of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. He would have never experienced Canaan if he didn't take the step out of Haran, and it was mostly a step with uncertainty. And of course, the question is, why? Why does God do this? Why not just give us a plan? Why not give us the details? Why not say to Abraham and Sarah, okay, Abraham and Sarah, you're 75, Abraham, Sarah, you're 65. Abraham, when you're 100, and Sarah, when you're 90, you're going to have a son, and his name is Isaac. And when Isaac is born, you're going to see that he eventually is going to stay single much longer than you prefer. He's going to be 40 before he actually meets his wife. So, Sarah, you're actually going to pass away when you're going to see Isaac remain single. But this is the nation of Israel, Abraham and Sarah. Trust me, look at the stars in the sky. So shall your offspring be. You ready to go? Let's go. Why doesn't he do that? Because Right? That's not how God unfolds. And, and maybe some of, I know my prayer life, I'm asking God for, could you give me a few more details here? Just a little more insight on what's around this bend over here. So two things I think that are so important to God and why is it a priority that the divine go comes packaged with uncertainty. The first one, Hebrews 11.6 gives us insight into this. Hebrews 11.6 says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So hear this now. Like clarity, security, and certainty, that's not an optimum environment to grow faith. Or to use other confidence in God, deepening our roots of trust and dependence on God, relying on God. That's what, like, it's a big deal with God that we as his people develop faith, that our roots of faith grow down deeper. Well, guess what God knows? God knows great soil for that to happen is uncertainty. That's where that stuff grows. That's where our reliance on him gets deeper. That's where our trust in Him grows stronger. That's where our dependence upon Him. Do you see that? Like, God wants us to lean in and to deepen these roots of faith, and He knows a big part of that will be, I'll just give you enough information for the ne- information as we go. Not unfolding the full plan in front of us. And the second part of this is, I think that, think of it from a character development standpoint. Like, if God's agenda is to develop a people that reflect his character in this world, well, then he's going to work this story, Abraham and Sarah. His agenda is to get him to Canaan, 700 miles south. God knows what he's doing. He's going to get him to Canaan, and they're going to have a child. Now, I'm sure they think 75 and 65, better get after it pretty quick. They're not thinking 25 years out, not like us. Like God knows what he's doing, Generally speaking, his timetable is just much slower than we prefer. Like things don't unfold at the pace we like. We kind of accelerate the march of destiny. That's the propensity in the human condition. We want to move things along. But with God, 
He's not just interested in getting, hear this, Abraham and Sarah to Canaan, from Haran to Canaan. He's not just that. He is that. But he's also interested in who they will be when they get there. Hence, the journey's longer. It's slower. It's got winding trails. It's filled with uncertainty. There's this wrestling match. There's kind of, kind of melting out of our hearts self-reliance and deepening our dependence on God. That whole thing, that doesn't happen with security and comfort and convenience and clarity. That space is not great environment for the things that God's looking for to develop in us. So, church, don't be surprised when you hear the divine go enter your life, big or small. It's going to come packaged, embedded with uncertainty. You're not going to be able to map it all out. You're not going to see where it all unfolds. You're not going to understand how this yes turn. You're just not going to. You're going to get an information as needed basis. Second quality that's packaged in this that Abraham and Sarah are learning about, did you see it in the text that there's this release and embrace? In order to respond to the divine go, like Abraham and Sarah had to let go of what was to embrace and take hold of what will be. You can't simultaneously hold on to what is and get a hold of what will be. They're kind of mutually exclusive. You've got to let go of one to embrace the other. They couldn't stay camped out in the retirement village of Haran and enter and embrace and respond to the divine go to head to the land of Canaan. One of my favorite writers is Henry Nouwen, and he tells this great story with an image that really helps me with this point. And here's a picture of Henry Nouwen with a bunch of flying acrobats. So here's, here's Nouwen. He's kind of stretched out there in front of him. And so he's down in South Africa, and he goes to this show with all these acrobats, like performing the trapeze and spinning and flying. Here's a picture of like in the, one of them in flight and kind of midair, and he's, he's sitting and watching. Go ahead to the picture of them in flight when the acrobat artist releases the bar. Okay, right there. He's watching this show, and Nowen talks about a few minutes into the show, he thought, well, the real, he, he initially thought the real star of the show was like this young lady who was releasing and do, doing these amazing flips and spins. And then Nowen makes this really astute commentary. He said, actually, what he learned was the real star of the show was the catcher. He said, if it wasn't for the trust that the young lady had in the strength and the hands of the catcher, she wouldn't have the freedom to do the release and the flips and the spins, she could do all of that because she knew at the end when she stretched out her hands, the strong arms of the catcher would grab her. I think you see where I'm going with this. And then Nowen writes this quote. I put it in your notes. He says, if we are to take risks to be free in the air, in life, we have to know there's a catcher. We have to know that when we come down from it all, we're going to be caught. We're going to be safe. The great hero is the least visible. Ooh, isn't that a great line? Trust the catcher. So church, when the divine go enters your life, you're going to be thrust into this space 
like that acrobat artist in suspended air. You're going to be thrust into this. If you're, if you're going to, the divine go enters, big or small, it, it may not be to start a nation, no doubt, but there's going to be some other place like God's going to say, let go of what is, it's going to become what you, let go, and then you're going to embrace what will be. But that space where you're just in suspended air, right there. Like we're going to have to get increasingly comfortable with that. Notice the acrobat doesn't just like grab a hold of one bar and then the other bar. No, let go and what will enable you or propel you to let go is, you know, the strong arms of the catcher. Trust the catcher. And for some of us this morning, we're never going to experience the strong arms of the catcher until we let go. And where's the call to let go? Where's the call to release? We've got to release the grip on the bar of what is in order to experience the strong hands of the catcher on what will be. And most often when we release this bar, it's going to seem very uncomfortable, most likely not completely like responsible or sensible even, but we'll know this. We'll know the divine go, this is what God wants. It's like responsible irresponsibility kind of thing. And for Abraham, 75 doesn't make a lot of sense. Uproot your whole family and move them where? And what does it say? Here's what Genesis 12, 4 says. What did Abraham do? So Abram left. <laughs> As the Lord had told him, he released the bar. And he's living in this suspended space for a while that we'll get into in the weeks ahead here, right? You're just going to see he's not going to fully grasp all of it. He actually gets, and there's a famine in the land. There's all kinds of things that, that happen. And he lets go, though. He, embase, he, he obeys what he knows and the strength that he has. He trusts the strong hands of the catcher. And what's the result of Abraham and Sarah's obedience here? Well, fast forward in the story. They become the father and mother of the nation of Israel, of which Jesus the Messiah eventually is born. So Jesus becomes from the tribe of Judah, from the nation of Israel, from the family line of Abraham. The Savior of the world, God's unfolding plan, it starts with the divine go entering 75-year-old Abraham and 65-year-old Sarah and saying, release, let it go, but, 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 release, and then trust the strong arms of the catcher. I will catch you, and you will embrace what will be. Church, this is central to us responding to the divine go. Embedded uncertainty and this rhythm of release embrace. And now stay with me now for the third element, kind of third quality packaged with a divine go is there's going to be an outflow of helping others. The Abrahamic covenant at its core isn't just about Abraham and Sarah and their family. It's about them with the point of an outflow to bless the world. This is God's heart. Like, his heart is for people, all people everywhere. That's from the opening pages here. 
And what you see in God is that he has a disproportionate heart, a disproportionate care and concern for the marginalized and the oppressed and the overlooked and the forgotten. Those especially are front burner on his heart. But he's for all people everywhere. In the language of the New Testament, we think the Great Commission is a Matthew 28 thing, when the Great Commission is really a Genesis 12 thing, all the way back. I'm only on page 9 in my Bible. On page 9, God unfolds His heart for all people everywhere. And so the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is just an extension of what God's already been revealing and unfolding. It's His regathering plan for what's been scattered at Babel. This is his heart. And so part of what's thrust, when the divine go enters our life, he's got people in mind. He's got especially people who might be marginalized and oppressed and overlooked. He's got those things in mind when he sends the divine go in. He sends it to Abraham and Sarah with the thought of the nations in mind. And here's a map of our world spiritually. Not just the physical, emotional, and relational components of brokenness. God's concerned about the spiritual components. So all of the purple sectors on that map represent where there are followers of Jesus, where there's access to the gospel, where there's a church, where there's Bible and languages, where there are known believers. That's all the purple sectors. The non-purple sectors are where the places of the world where those those aren't There are no Bibles in those languages. There are no churches. There are no known believers within contact, in proximity. That's the spiritual climate of the world, big picture. Now, there's small little sectors here and there, but I just want to give you kind of broad stroke here to get you a picture. So, when God sends the divine go, hear this now, a part of the divine go is He sends the divine go to those of us living in the purple sectors of this world. And he sends it to do something about those in the non-purple sectors of this world. That's the divine go. To help others spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, the oppressed, the marginalized, the lost, the forgotten, the overlooked. This is part of the divine go. This explains why, like as a church... Why Petula Myers, who's here on on home assignment for a few months, why is she spending her life in the middle of Bosnia? The divine go. Paul and Kate Keller, what are they doing in Sicily helping North African refugees? The divine go. Why is the, we're hooked up with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, around 700 workers in 81 nations. What's all that about? It's God sending to ordinary, everyday people the divine go. It's those of us who live in the purple sectors, who know Jesus, who have access to this amazing gospel, that we're doing something about those that don't. That's on God's heart. It's from the opening pages of the story that the primary mission and focus of God is people. And he's looking at the world and he's got, oh, I've got people in my family and I'm going to send them to those who are yet to be in my family. Do you see this? This is how the divine go comes. Now, it may not be moving to Bosnia or moving to Sicily or uprooting to some other part of the world, but it may be. Some of you may be hearing that divine go. And as a church, we're committed to sending and supporting. That's an important part of who we are and what we're about. And maybe that's what God's stirring up. And that's not just for the young people. That could be for those of you down the tracks a while. You go, maybe it's that. Maybe it's an uprooting and a moving to somewhere in the sector of the world where they don't have access, 
or there aren't churches. But it may not be that. The divine goal may come into your life and simply be, you know about a neighbor who's going through a really hard time, and you just need to set up a meal train and maybe help care for some kids. You just know they're going through a hard time. Someone going through some grief and loss at work, coworkers. Divine go comes to you and says, hey, reach out and do something there. Or maybe the divine go comes to some of you and wants to start working in the safe families arena and helping with a, the adoption and kind of the, the whole foster care issue that's going on in our world and these kids that are forgotten and overlooked and kind of pushed to the margins of society. Maybe it's engaging in that kind of of a ministry. Maybe it's linking up with the refugees that are in our backyard, and there's thousands and thousands from all these nations of the world, which is interesting when you look at the map. Many of the non-purple sectors are being sent. This is how God like uproots and sends people around the world. You know, one of the things that happens in refugee work is when you're uprooted from your home country and sent out of your own culture, guess what happens to your heart? Your heart gets cracked open to kind of think about things differently. And could it be that God might be uprooting, sending some in the non-purple sectors of the globe into the purple sectors of the globe? And that's, I think, happening in our own city. And we're working with Migros Aid and Refugee Ministry, and you could help teach people English language or help them learn how to get a driver's license. Or you can link up with Danny Marquez on the near west side in School 63 and just become a mentor uh, and help with an alpha class or just, become, just be available. The divine go. It just says step in, or maybe some of you are hearing the divine go that says, you know what, There's, maybe you've been stirred up about just taking a step towards ministry and out of isolation and engage more on the front line of what God's up to in this world, and it's people. It's about the spiritual development of people. It's about pouring in and caring and loving people, and he's got a disproportionate heart for the, the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the overlooked. It's like, what are we doing there? And maybe the divine go is stirring up. Maybe this morning, maybe long before this morning, maybe this is just kind of fuel on a fire, an ember that's already been going in your heart. I hope and pray so. Because when it comes, church, when it comes, it comes packaged. Abraham and Sarah, they're finding out. <laughs> it comes packaged with embedded uncertainty. We're not going to be able to sort it all out. The divine go doesn't come with a promised detailed plan. Here's the promise. I will be with you. And here's maturity in the Christian life when that's enough for us. And we know that the Lord will be with us and He will help us. So we don't shrink back from the uncertainty. We kind of settle in and begin to embrace it. And then it's going to come packaged with kind of a prerequisite of release. You're not going to be able to stay with a firm, white-knuckle grip on what is. You're going to have to loosen your grip across the board. Time, resources, <laughs> taking all kinds of risks. You have to let go. And you have to live in this suspended space. But if you'll do, you'll experience what Abraham and Sarah did and what many others do. You'll experience the strong, firm hands of the catcher. And the outflow of all this is going to be blessing and helping others in the world. This is Genesis 12. This is the Abrahamic covenant. This is the essence of the beginning of the story of this book. And as we stay with it over the months ahead, we'll see the unfolding of his plan. And he starts with people and his heart for people. And he's still doing it today, church. 
So I close with this question. Where are you hearing the divine go? Where are you hearing it? I was thinking about in my life, you know, in the larger times of hearing the divine go is when I was working at Eli Lilly and I was doing some marketing systems work and I was driving to and fro and loved my job and loved what I was doing, loved the people I was working with. And the divine go just entered and said, Simpson, I got, I got something else for you to do. And I didn't see and I didn't understand. It didn't come with, certainly didn't come with a full-on plan. <laughs> it just came with an information as needed basis where you take a step here. And then I remember the divine go coming several years later when we were going through a bunch of changes as a church. And I remember the elders sat down with me and our district superintendent sat down and said, Eric, would you and Kendra pray about being the lead pastor of Eagle Church? That was a divine go. To just hold it with an open hand and loosen the grip on what was or what is and release. And there have always been those bigger moments there's smaller moments when you hear the divine go for me comes that sometimes it's just send that text message to that person you know is really going through it or pick up the phone and call someone or schedule a visit and drive to someone's house or go to this hospital or it's the divine go, just, just go, just help, bless, serve, give and, and don't lose sight of the disproportionate heart of God says, especially those who, who may be overlooked and marginalized and pushed to the edges like that. The divine, just how can you help? How's it coming to you? The with God life gets increasingly familiar with the divine go. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this unbelievable book called the Bible. Thank you for these stories you've preserved, this history that you've kept for us. Thank you for these characters like Abraham and Sarah who were just like us, everyday ordinary people who just get linked up with an unbelievable God, a God who was matchless and glorious and powerful and personal and just what an amazing story and and so I just have to believe here at the beginning of 2021, in the midst of all that we're living through in our world, uh, certainly get a picture today that you're still sending the divine go. And so would you open up our ears and give us open and receptive hearts to how you're sending it and the way you're stirring it up. And maybe there's somebody this morning right now just living in that space of uncertainty. You came in this morning, and you just can't see how you're going to get through what you're going through. And today it's just, just deep breath, settle down. Embrace the uncertainty. Jesus is with you. I will be with you. Or maybe this morning it's that someone's feeling a real... T- it's, it's a release day. It's a loosen the grip day. It's a, it's a let go of the bar and you're going to feel the, that suspended air and the butterflies in the stomach that come or the butterflies in the soul that come when you just go, I just let go of what was and I, I don't know what will be. And this morning... God wants you to know, trust the catcher. Trust his strong arms. Stretch out your hands and he will catch you. And would you collectively, Lord, with all of us as a church, just open up our eyes and help us to see the needs and the brokenness of people all around us and then just move us to love and serve and give and help. We ask it in Jesus' name. 
Amen.